Hello and welcome to episode. Oh, what episode is this? Four. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I'm not a bringer inner. Just ask Paul. <laughs> okay. All right. Take take dose. No, that's that's it. That's, no. that's it. That's the opener. Son of a. Hello. Well, I'm not the editor, so actually I can't say. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I I edit within an inch of its life. Thank you, Andy. That was my Daffy Duck tongue. <laughs> We're going to wait till we get home. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this won't make an outtake, really. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, well, I, I fully expect that. I'm used to that by now. So, Hello and welcome to Keep Em Flying, episode four. Today we will be covering Shindig. And with me today are um, the other guys. The other <laughs> Yeah, the members Best of the crew. Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg? Ever. <laughs> no, yeah, as you just heard, that would be Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. And I am Bill Robinson. And you are here with us on our, our, on our index journey of Firefly. Because I believe, Paul, you're the only one who, uh, if I remember correctly, who has not seen all of it. So this is new to you and old to us. But we enjoy it, a- Andy and I. I, so I, it's new to me, and I am not moving forward and watching episodes beyond what we're covering until we get to them. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm making a point of doing that because I don't want to do these shows, other than the fact that we do two episodes at a time. The most right. I will ever be ahead of where we are is one episode for that reason. So no spoilers, anybody, if you are if you do any uh, any posting on Facebook or, or ho- however you wish to contact. Spoil anything they want. The show is, what, no, 12, no, 12 no. years old, 13 years old? They can't spoil. You, you, they can't spoil the movie. At least don't spoil the movie for Paul. Don't spoil on the Keep Them Flying Facebook page that doesn't exist. <laughs> he, but maybe does now. So we have any? Uh, well, um, do we have I, any Firefly news? Do we have any, <laughs> I for a I, show that's been dead for thirteen years. You know what? I think I think the Firefly news for every single episode of this show could be there's a rumor that they're doing a reunion. Yeah. There's, there's always a rumor that they're doing a reunion. And there's a game that. out there somewhere. Probably. Someday. Maybe. I I think the thing with the reunion, I think the Firefly fans, of which I am one, do have to realise that there is a very, very, very small but incredibly vocal fandom for this show that is just not enough to get it back on the air or whatever in the kind of money that would be needed to produce it. This isn't Veronica Mars. You couldn't produce a film for this for five million. Serenity's budget was 40 million. And Joss Whedon said that that was bottom of the barrel in terms of low budget for a movie of this kind. So I think we just have to kind of accept there's these 15 perfectly formed episodes and a film and that's it. And I'm fine with that. Before we carry on though, you, you may have noticed that uh, we have a, a different crew today. And this is because, uh, as many of you will be aware, Sean Engel sadly passed away on December the 16th, 2015. As we'd listened to The Prophets, we, we did a lot of talking between ourselves. And we did a lot of umming and ahhing about what to do with the Listen to the Prophets show. But this one was still very much up in the air. We'd only recorded the pilot and the first two episodes. And it looked for a long time like only the pilot recording existed. And that kind of was putting us on the back foot because both Paul and I decided we weren't going to do anything that we'd done with with uh, with Sean again 
that wasn't going to happen because uh, to me personally, I just felt you know slightly insulted and uh, not very um, not very complimentary to, to Sean's memory given what he brought to these shows, which was a hell of a lot. As I'm discovering, as I'm now editing these. Uh, one of the things that we did have, though, is that we had Bill on the last two episodes and what we thought would be really good because both Paul and I felt that this was a show that deserves three voices. The dynamic of the three different people with different perspectives on the show was what made it and was what why we decided to do it in the first place. So Bill is going to join us for the rest of the run. Bill's not replacing Sean, and I don't think Bill would be offended by me saying that. Nobody can replace Sean. And that's the whole point. And as we listen to the prophet, I firmly believe he's here in every recording we do in every one of these that we do. He's here, certainly here in our hearts. So that's what the situation is going forward. So I'm going to introduce our new. Well, he's not new, is he? Because he was on the last two episodes. But he's the guy old who's and decrepit. Be, he's old and decrepit. <laughs> the guy who's going to be joining us for the rest of this run. And there's only 15 episodes of the show. Doctor, which I think is an honorary title, Bill Robinson. I guess I would be Preacher Bill for this one. <laughs> to, 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 be fair, to be fair to, to Preacher Bill, Shepherd. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that he was on episodes two and three. Yeah. And before we had all, you know, before Sean got ill, Bill was scheduled to be on episodes four and five and was probably going to be on every episode with us anyway. You didn't tell me that. <laughs> You don't recall. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Which is fine with me. Well, our fear was that if we told you that, you would have gone running the other way. No, I love Bill. You know I love Bill. I've got all the time in the world for Bill. So that's where we're going going forward. And as Bill's already mentioned, today's episode is Shindig. Which, actually, I think um, you, you guys, uh, I was the only one that still had a recording of episode two and three. Oh, did I not mention that? Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, Bill saved the day with episode two and three because um, for some reason, did Paul, you didn't have a recording of it, did you? No, I didn't, and I have no idea why, but I didn't. Right, so Bill ultimately came through with a recording of those two shows, which is the whole reason that A, you're able to listen to the lovely listener, and B, that we're carrying on. Because and that, that we're allowing him to be back. And that we're he allowing held, He held them for ransom until we let him back. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, Which is odd because usually, because usually my rights. it's odd because usually my recorder doesn't work like today. So I hope you guys are both recording. I don't have a Skype recorder. This is all on Paul. Oh, no. I always I always record, but hopefully okay. we have no issues there. But I just want to give a little background because Shindig was on from 1964 to 1966. It starred Jimmy O'Neill, and it was a show that brought on young acts. It was kind of a uh, competitor to American Bandstand. What do you guys think of Shindig? <laughs> uh, I uh, love Shindig because I was alive to watch it, despite not being alive to watch it, and in another country. My biggest memory of Shindig is because they did a rift on it on the Flintstones. But other than that, I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. No, there, there was a show. Actually, there was a show at that time that was a competitive American bandstand called Shindig. Right. Okay. <laughs> What's American Bandstand? You don't, oh, you don't know what that is? That was you know American Bandstand. Oh. That was Dick Clark's show. Oh, come on. I've not got a clue. You seriously like, don't know who Dick Clark is? No, I don't know who Dick Clark is. Do you he know was, who, he was, was he not on That's Incredible with uh, Fran Talkington and Kathy Lee Crosby? No. I have oh, wait no idea what That's Incredible No, that was, that was John Davidson. John Davidson. Okay, no, it wasn't Dick Clark. Is he related really. to Peter Davison? No. 
Dick no, that's Clark John was, Davidson. But Dick, Dick Clark's, Dick Clark, Dick Clark, Dick Clark's New, yeah, Rocket New Year's Eve. Sound familiar at all? No. You don't oh, wait, I may have seen it in a comic. I'm sure there are co- Yeah, there's a Fantastic Four comic that we've just covered where the thing fights Tundra, Thundra, on New Year's Eve, and they're in New York, and some guy is the host in a TV show. Yes, that, yes. That may be him. So you recently hit on him in the Fantastic Kiss. He, he passed away, I think, two years ago, Dick Clark, and before that, about three or four years before that, he had a stroke. So he, he had been ill. Before he had been ill, and that he was kind broke. of renowned for being ageless. Oh, right. And that no-talent, shill, bastard Ryan Seacrest took his spot. But he, he was – Dick Clark was around from the 60s and well into the 2000s hosting a New Year's Eve show. He hosted the show American Bandstand that was on for probably 20-something years, uh, you know, which which highlight – you know, basically that was on well the musical acts. What? That was on – I remember that being on in the, in, in, in the 80s. Yeah, and I think it started so. in, the, in the, either the 50s or the 60s. It was like a dance. They would they would have people dancing in the background, and he would introduce the song. They would sometimes have the artists on. And oh, so it was it was like Top of the Pops. Yes, yes. Right. Many, many the- famous artists mm-hmm. of that era. And right. Barry Manilow did the theme, I believe. Well, I don't think he. I think he performed the theme in concert. I don't think he wrote the theme. Oh, okay. Well, only because wrote- only because I think that theme was around for a long time before Barry Manilow was famous. Oh, maybe he just put words to it then. Perhaps. Or maybe – I don't even know. Maybe this words existed. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm speaking without knowledge here, which I hate doing, even though I do it so often. <laughs> bandstand, bandstand. That was the, my rendition of the bandstand theme. Sorry. Yeah, this, the show was on from 1952 to 1989. Whew. Theme music. Come on. Where is it? Bandstand you originally used High Society by Artie Shaw as its theme song. From 1969 to 1974, used the Bandstand theme. 1974 to 1977, there was a newer orchestral version of Bandstand Boogie. From 1977 to the end of the show, the show opened and closed with Barry Manilow's rendition of Bandstand Boogie, which he originally recorded for his 1975 album, Trying to Get the Feeling. This version introduced lyrics written by Manilow and Bruce Sussman, referencing elements of the series. The previous theme was retained as bumper music. So he wrote the lyrics. See, he does write the songs that make the whole world sick. He does. And special things. He writes the songs. He writes the songs. I have to go let my daughter in because she had, she's coming home from a sleepover. So I will return in a moment. Okay. After these messages, <clears throat> Paul will be right back. <laughs> we don't have any messages to put in. Oh. I'm sure there are trailers for some show somewhere that I can, <laughs> Pop I can in. slide in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Ben, I had to explain. Uh, ben didn't catch on to Michael's name in. All right. I was like, I was like TK421 IG88, and he stopped for a second and went, "Oh, I'm like, yeah." <laughs> TK421, why aren't you at Wait. your post? <laughs> Which I never get bored of calling him when he when he plays online with me like that. Mm. I don't know why. I don't know where that came from. Very hard. <laughs> oh, oh dear. <clears throat> yes. Uh, yeah. What was it? Right. Right when I left to go to the store, I unplugged the thing, and, and you start started to sing um, 
about the Ewok village, you know, where there are no Ewoks in the village. <laughs> Ewok. Ewok village. <laughs> there are no Ewoks here. It's devoid of Ewoks. Yum, yum. They've all been eaten by stormtroopers. <laughs> the stormtroopers like the taste are of Ewok meat. Uh, 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 uh. That one. <laughs> Although that yeah. was all new lyrics. That was just for you. You mean that that wasn't from the movie? No, <laughs> that, that's oh. the deleted scene. <laughs> you you, you got to be careful. If, if he still had the rights to the movie, Lucas would get a hold of that, and you'd see you'd see a new special edition. <laughs> Ewok meat is tasty sweet. Mm-hmm. Mm. So when we got off the, I know we got to get back to the show, but when we got off off, off the call. My wife said, she's like, you know, I don't think I've seen you so happy as you were. Like, she said that I looked like a little kid because I was like, I'm, I'm talking to people in England while I'm playing a game at the same time. It's because technology's brilliant. <laughs> and we very much appreciated you showing up when you did because it meant we could play those games because then there were four of us. Oh, Okay. Because you can only do it with a minimum of four people, so your showing up at that time was brilliant. Oh, because I, I, I just had ha- had a blast. I was w- walking around the rest of the day just in a great mood. Yeah. It was brilliant, especially because you're just as bad as I am. <laughs> and we were slaughtered by uh, Michael. I... Just kept killing us. <laughs> Andy, stop running around. Just hide in a corner. When they run in, we'll just shoot him. <laughs> I hope he goes away. <laughs> Oh, anyway, should we talk about Shindig? Yes, yes. <clears throat> yeah, I thought we had enough of a divergence when we went over to uh, American Bandstand, but I was wrong. <laughs> well, we were filling in while you were gone. Anyway, okay. Shindig, season one, episode four, was directed by Vern Gillum and written by Jane Espenson. Its original air date was November 1st, 2002. Wow. So long ago. 13 years ago. Jeez. A synopsis goes like this. The crew lands on Persephone. In her shuttle quarters, Inara scans potential clients and chooses local aristocrat Atherton Wing, a regular customer. Mal and Jane are accosted by Oi, White Badger, who needs Mal's help to move an illegal cargo for high society local Warwick Harrow. Harrow. Oh, it's, it's early. Who will not talk to the likes of Badger? Oi! He proves. Wait, that's Australian. I guess that doesn't work, does it? Get hey. riddles! Heard <laughs> you were in town? Thought we might have a bit of a sit down. There you go. <laughs> he, pro- he provides Mal and Kaylee with tickets to the very ball that Inara will be attending. At the ball, Atherton asks Nara to be his personal companion, remaining in a world more suited to her, but she diplomatically defers a d- decision. Suddenly, the arrival of Miss Kaywinet Lee Frey, or Fry, depending on how you wish to pronounce it, an escort is announced. Kaylee, in a ruffled dress she had earlier coveted in a shop window, accompanied by Maul. Back on Serenity, Simon, Book, and Jane playing a card game using ship chores as currency. River, experiencing another of her mantic outbursts, frantically shreds the blue sun labels of their canned food supplies. Meanwhile, Wash and Zoe have sex. 
<laughs> I love that that's just thrown in there. <laughs> and Gina Torres. <clears throat> at the ball, Kaylee's friendly attempt to mix with the mean girls fails, but she is rescued by an older gentleman, then drawn to a group of several, several mechanically-minded men. Meanwhile, Malm finds Sir Warwick, not Davis, who is cool to any proposal that Badger nope, nope, nope. is behind. Despite Badger! Malm, Badger! I sound like a gangster from this Badger. Badger, see? <laughs> yeah, see? Badger. <laughs> Despite Miles' professionalism. Just then, Atherton Wing, with Nara in tow, interrupts their conversation. Mal escorts Nara onto the dance floor, but when Atherton cuts in and insists on his right to take Nara away because she's a whore, <clears throat> Mal punches him in the face. Actually, he says, money changed hands, but it's implied. Unknowingly making a challenge that commits him to a duel by sword against expert swordsman Atherton. Sir Warwick agrees to be his second. Yub, yub. On Serenity... Badger arrives uninvited to explain to the remaining crew that Mal will be participating in a duel. As the crew discusses how to rescue him, Badger, see, disabuses them of this idea. <clears throat> he is here with his men to, to sit on them until the duel is finished. Must like hurt. Patsy. Sit on it. Mal ineptly practices for the duel, and Ara sneaks into his room to talk. She is confused by Mal's decision to punch Atherton because he insulted her. When when Mal often does this, while Mal often does this himself, oh, wow, who wrote this? I know Wikipedia did. So I could have wrote this better Tim myself. Wikipedia. I know Paul's going. No, don't write it yourself. We'll be here forever. It's going to be long enough as it is. Mal replies that he merely insults her profession, <laughs> where his wing insulted her. In the meantime, the crew of Serenity sits in the cargo hold, attempting to plot an escape from the watchful eyes of Badger and his cronies. Jane comes up with the idea that they need a diversion. River appears in a display as a display of her as yet unrevealed talents converses with Badger in his own accent, mentioning his heretofore her, her unknown past. River departs, leaving a confounded but amused Badger. Jane realizes that River's distraction of Badger is exactly what the crew could have used. In the duel, wow, we just jumped right into that. In the duel, Atherton wounds Miles several times through tricky sword play. Yeah, it's sneaky. What a a-hole. And when he has Mal at his mercy, turns at a plea from Inara, who offers to stay with him if he will only spare Mal's life. Mal uses his distraction to, to disarm the swordsman, deliver a punch to the face, and throw his own broken sword blade at him, stabbing him in the shoulder. Yes. Mal stands over the wounded wing. <laughs> Sorry. Wielding Wing's own sword, and Sir Warwick demands that he deliver the final blow, lest Atherton be humiliated. Mal, however, shows mercy after getting in two more pokes. As Inara helps Mal off the field, Atherton calls out viciously to Inara and threatens to ruin her. Inara responds by informing him that he is now persona non grata in the companion registry, implicitly, implicitly ruining him. Entertained by Mal's trouncing of the con conceited wing and impressed by his tenacity, Sir Warwick agrees to send his cargo with Mal. 
The as-yet-unbegun escape plan plotted by the Serenity crew is aborted by the return of Inara and Mal, who chase a pleased badger off his ship. Inara and Mal share a moment on the cargo bay landing, watching over their cargo from Har- Haro, a bay full of cattle. Mahoo. <laughs> I keep thinking of, uh, of, of what's his name, uh, Harcourt Mud saying, it's me cargo. <laughs> yeah, well, that would go with the whole the companions, yes. You were a good synopsis, sir. Well, you were okay. Well, you were all right. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. I got that. You see what I did there? Yeah, mm. with the pokes. Mm. Uh, all right. What did you What did you think, Bill? You did the synopsis. You get to go first. What did you, uh, you think of this episode? I just rewatched this again l- last night, having seen it ooh, way way back, and then seen it a few months ago. Um, just realize how much I really love Kaylee because <laughs> she was so good in this episode and she, she really gets to shine as, you know, that while she's a mechanic inside, she's kind of like a, you know, she seems to be the mechanical type, but she's really just the, wants to dress up like a pretty girl and go to the ball and have a good time. And that, you know, it, it's nice that we begin to see more of, what Maul thinks of Inara and, you know, like the coming together of the crew some more. Um, although I was a little confused by the card game. Do you win? Because in the card game, they, they're they playing for chores. But are they playing so that they can assign chores to other people or to get rid of chores? Like, would you would the goal be to lose or I mean, or, or I, I guess it would have to be no, to win and then to assign your to to assign your chores to other people. Yeah, I think it's if you win, you get to force other people to do your chores. Hmm. Yeah, that's how I read it. That yeah, they're playing to palm their chores off on other people. Yeah. So has any of you attended the horror academy? Oh, I was... <laughs> not recently. Oh, okay. I did not attend the horror academy. Paul, what did you think of it? I, I like this one. I thought this one was a fun episode for the most part. And, and fun, I think, is the way to describe this one. Uh, I, I didn't think there was a lot of world building, uh, but we did see. Well, it was like personal relationship building. Yeah, exactly. We did see the the possible start of some more romantic tension between Mal and Inara. Mm-hmm. Um and and done in a in a nice way too. Not not that you know, oh you know not Professor Xavier pining over Marvel Girl, <laughs> you know? or or like like one of the famous ones of tension between characters between like Dave and Maddie from from Moonlighting. This was a more they're it's a too per- subtle. They weren't yeah. overtly flirting with each other. No, no, because they're still trying to maintain their their statuses. He is the captain of the ship. He needs to maintain a, a level of of distance from her, and she is a you know a prostitute, and she has to maintain her professionalism. So I mean, yeah, it's it's it, it, it was a nice balance with that. And I I totally agree with you 100% with Kaylee when she comes in with a frilly dress and 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 she's so excited about about it and everything, or, or even you know you you see some of the personalities that I like that they've grown up differently than people we, you know, we experience in general. You know, there's a childlike nature to some of these characters. 
and particularly I'm thinking River and Kaylee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like when when you know when they basically put her down for like dry, liking that dress, and then when Mal comes in and she's not speaking to him, but then when she walks into the to the ball, uh, just just and then and then she's so innocent when the you know when the mean girls start talking to her. Oh yeah, it was but, but 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 then that you know they quickly get their come up and so the, you know it, it's just yeah when the old really, man really walks well. the old man walks up and says you know says oh how. Was it How, it was must have it taken like, many hands to make that dress, but it, or, but from what I like, understand, very few to get you out of it. <laughs> yeah. And, and and then they're all like, hmm. They all walk off. Uh, uh, yeah, and, then, think, and then she ends up enchanting everybody with her mechanical knowledge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when she's rescued by Rhett Butler, which was a really nice moment. I like yeah. I like this one a lot. I think it's it's one of the lesser ones, to be sure. But as usual, this show, some of the dialogue is just brilliantly funny all the way throughout the episode. It's a great show for having to pay attention to it because yes. it's like Spartacus in that the dialogue's very stylized, but just gorgeous. And I just wish we could talk like this in real life because it's just brilliant. Um, I got that it's it is a light and fluffy one and it is fun. But there is a certain element, though, that they're playing with the status of the characters. Mal doesn't fit in Inara's world. But by the end of the episode, Inara has learned that she doesn't really fit in Inara's world either. And the only place they do belong is on Serenity. And it's something that Whedon played with in Buffy, this idea that you, in the current age, we make our own family. You find people who you have common interest with and who'll back you up. And that's your family. And your friends become family. And that's what I thought this one was about, ultimately. It's Malin and Nara realising that they don't really fit in in whatever world that they should fit in anymore. They only fit in with each other. And having Kaylee, the tomboy, be the one that's all lovely in the dress, but then she doesn't fit in with all the other girls in dresses either. She fits in with the old men that are talking about mechanics. And I, I like that little theme that's running throughout the entire episode, that there is a place for you somewhere, you just have to find it. Mm-hmm. Bill, you could almost go into your rendition of Somewhere Out There. <laughs> Somewhere out there. Oh, sorry. We're not going to bring Arnold in on here. Is he not making an appearance on this one? Well, maybe now and then. Now, uh, just, just to go, you know, if we go way, way back into the 80s before some people who are listening were born, probably, uh, when Larry Drake was on L.A. Law, uh, he he did such a well a good job of playing Benny. Yeah, he was that I uh, thought they actually had mentally cast, challenged. Yeah, I had thought they had actually challenged challenged cast a mentally challenged person to play the role because he he just went the way he spoke and everything seemed so natural to me. Uh, but then you saw him in Doctor Giggles and it freaked you out. Yeah, he he did he did he owned Doctor Giggles. Well, I think it was Darkman was the first thing I saw him in. That... Yes, yes, he he was in he was the villain in Darkman. I think I, that's the first thing I ever saw him in where he wasn't Benny. I think that was the first thing I actually saw him in. I missed uh, that um, L.A. Law when it was out first run. I remember him with L.A. Law. Arnie Becker looked after him, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, he was he was kind of Arnie's go-to guy for running out and getting him lunch and doing his dry cleaning, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he. he it... I mean, that was a tip, typical 80s show or typical 80s drama. Mm. So, you know, you had to have 
the people who are mean to him, the people who are nice to him, you know, the whole deal. Yeah. Um, ultimately, though, there's, there's not really a lot on this one other than its dialogue. It, I think there is a little bit of world building. I slightly disagree in that you're seeing out on some of these frontier worlds there are people with money um, and there are people that aren't, which is kind of spelled out in the opening little saga cell. Did you have that on your Netflix? Do I have what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A the... little opening where they set up the premise of the show. Because they showed them out of order, that keeps vacillating between the one that Ron Glass does and the one that Nathan Fillion does. So far, so I've only one... seen the one that Nathan Fillion does. Right, because this one had the one that Nathan Fillion did, but I'm sure the last episode had Ron Glass on it doing the intro. I think the last two that I just watched, each one was a different person, I swear. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it so it, and it will go back to Ron Glass doing it, and then it'll go back to Nathan doing it, because they heard them out of order, and then on Netflix they've put them back in the order that they should be in. Hmm. So but, I don't know. I, I like those little intros. I like them. The ending of it, find a ship, find a crew, keep flying, is the Ron Glass one, and then Fillion's ends with, "You got a job, we'll do it." Don't much care what it is. Mm-hmm. I like both of them because some people have complained Fillion sounds even more bored than Harrison Ford does on the voiceover in Blade Runner, but I quite like it. Because it's not an easy show to condense into a 30-second saga cell. Mm-hmm. See, I, I didn't think he sounded bored. I think he, he sounded... Taught, well, like... Like, like, just, like, like he, he, you know, he didn't have the time to sit there and break this down. You know, like he's just, I think he sounds like he's the captain of the ship. I think he was in character, as he was saying. That he's just being no-nonsense. He's just, he's just laying it out the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. it. I think Ron Glasses has more gravitas, but I think Fillion's is more in keeping with the tone of the show, especially when he, he explains who River and Simon are. And he just says they're on the run from the Alliance. You know how it is. And just that casual throwaway thing as he has to try and forcibly explain who everyone on the crew is. I, I like both of them. I just wondered whether you two had an opinion on, on those because they were only added after the fact to try and explain what the show was. Right. But I, I, I again, I, I don't think. I don't think I would criticize Nathan Fillion's version because it seems to me like if, if you walked in and you asked Mel Reynolds, what's going on around here? That's the answer you would get. I was just going to say, and then you get the ending where he takes on um, Sir Atherton. <laughs> with, uh, what's his name? Yeah, Atherton Wing. Atherton uh, Wing. And, he, and there's that brilliant cut to adverts where uh, Mal's all, yeah, just get the guns. We'll do it right here. And he said, no, no, we'll get the swords. And he goes, so what? He goes, what? Well, Fillion's brilliant at comedy. He's absolutely fantastic at comedy. So that and that going straight into a commercial break is just a brilliant ending. And the 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 sword fight at the end is really funny, with with the caveat that I'm not entirely convinced it's supposed to be as funny as it is because he's just taking the piss all the way through it. Well, I I like when uh, you know the commentary on the side. He thinks he's doing good. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. he's like, aha! How you like that? But <laughs> oh god, I think he's winning. <laughs> and and I think you know we get a peek into into his character too because you know the way he ultimately wins the battle, you know is is not the most above board honorable way of doing things. But on the other hand, he would have been killed if he didn't do that. Yeah, but that that's perfectly in keeping with the Mal Reynolds that we've seen since the pilot episode. Yeah, he's oh, not bothered how he wins. He's yeah, it's not the. Oh, he's the fine, upstanding guy who would never che- who would rather die than cheat. No, no, he'll cheat. 
<laughs> yeah, but, but he's got enough change. honor that he didn't kill Atherton, even though they said, "Oh, you're dishonoring him." But not as much honor, which Andy brought up when he, you know, oh, when he ex- when he gives him the extra jabs, he's like, "Yeah, <laughs> well, let's just pay back." Yeah. Uh, one of the other scenes that I thought was funny was in the opening when they have the little sit down wood alcohol tea break with the little sandwiches with uh, with Badger, <laughs> who is brilliant in this episode. I love and, Badger. And Jane's just eating. He's like grabbing the sandwiches. He's putting a little like sugar cubes in his tea. He's he's acting very dainty. And then when they're looking for a word, they're like, well, that would be kind of. And then Jane kind of pauses and goes, pretentious. And they both look <laughs> at him like, what? <laughs> that came out of you? Yeah, there's one of the running threads through Jane throughout the show is that he's a lot brighter than he lets on. Just because he's the big dumb thug who does the shooting for them doesn't mean there's not an intelligence there. And you'll see that as we go along. Jane does actually care about some of these people, particularly Kaylee, and he's much smarter than people think he is. Albeit a little ruthless. Yeah, but, you know, he's a mercenary. That's in the job description, being ruthless. Yeah, I think he's a difficult character to write because you do want your audience to like him. But you, but you can't don't want to like him too much. Yeah, you can't. You can't. You don't. You don't want to fall into the stereotype of oh, he's got a heart of gold, blah blah blah. So to write him as a likable character, but have him be a rogue, it's that's not easy. No, because he's a bigger rogue than Mal is. Mal at least has a loyalty to his crew and his ship that you get the impression that if Jane was offered something better, he'd be out the door. Yeah, I think. I think Jane does have a certain sense, or at least what I've seen of him so far, he does have a certain sense of honor, but that honor doesn't create loyalty. So I, I, I don't think he would necessarily, you know, like if he was paid more money to just walk away, I think he would. If he was being paid more money to turn on the crew and kill them, I don't think he would. It would have to be more money. Yeah, it would have to be an awful lot of money for him to go up against Zoe, because I don't think Jane's convinced he could win in a fight against Zoe. Well, that too. But but I don't even think – I I like to think that that he's better than that, that he wouldn't try to kill them. No. um, Like I said, walking away from them, yeah, that I think he could be paid to do. Well, you know, they had that one discussion uh, when Zoe and Wash have sex, and, you know, that one quick line in the synopsis – that uh, Wash t- tells her, hey, don't fall asleep because then Jane's going to, you know, take over because yeah. it would make him the a- acting captain. And it's like, how much of that is just joking and how much of that is possible, you know, reality? I think Zoe's being perfectly serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. Not not that he's going to, you know, what he's going to do when he takes over, we don't know. But I do think, you know, he'd like to be in charge. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> just just to touch on that scene again, that was another thing. Just to show that at some level, Zoe and Wash have a, a normal relationship. You know, up to this point, you've seen him, you know, playing with dinosaur toys and stuff. You know, probably not all that different from the three of us, but that's besides. <laughs> say, what's the problem like, with like, that? You almost sit there and say, why would Zoe be attracted to this guy? Do they have a normal relationship? So to see them in bed, you know, you don't need to be too graphic, but to see that they do have a normal relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just like a, it's not like a mother child relationship. 
which which you almost feel because he's he's shown to be so you know so simple. Hey, he's not that simple. Well, he's. Well, he's I think I think ship, he's shown man. to be simple on the surface, but that there's more he's underneath. He's just lighthearted. What? He's just lighthearted. Yeah, but I, that's what I mean. I think he's shown to be simple on the surface, but that there's more going on underneath than we've seen so far. But now, you know, we're seeing that he is capable of having an adult relationship. Yeah, see, that would kind of describe me. Oh, wait. I think I've spoke too much. <laughs> you, you don't have an adult relationship, please. Yeah, I do. <laughs> oh, please continue the petty bickering. <laughs> it's what we do best. It's what's made us famous throughout the Internet. It's like listening to bins only actually being able to participate. <laughs> Live action bins. <laughs> yeah, but on the whole, I, I really like this one. I, I think it's, like I said, I think it's a lesser episode in the overall scheme of things. But it's it's perfectly watchable. There's no such thing as a bad episode of Firefly. So I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that I'm putting it as a lesser episode in my, <laughs> in my well, having I watched... I don't think any means... Well, five episodes, I shouldn't yeah. speak for... Andy, but I don't think he means lesser as in bad, just lesser no, no. as in as in overall. I mean, there's only so many episodes, so this one to the overall scheme of the whole storyline is not as intricate. I mean, it just it sets up more little character development, I think, than anything else. Yeah, but you got to have that at, at, at some point, though, too. Unlike Listen to the Prophets. Where we know we're covering covering seven seasons of a show with, you know, several, uh, however many, 150 episodes, whatever it is. Yeah, so you've uh, got, this is ten times more condensed. Exactly. So wh- where I feel like there we have to be a little bit more judicious in our ratings to say, well, is this one going to be as good as these others or whatever. Here I feel like, you know what, if it's 15 five-star episodes, that's fine. I'm not going to worry about, oh, it's, you know, it's a five-star episode, but it doesn't, you know, I have to compare it to the other ones. I don't expect to have 15 five-star episodes, don't get me wrong. But I'm not going to, I'm going to watch each episode and I'm just going to rate it on it on its own in a vacuum. And from a sitting and watching this episode point of view, I found this to be very enjoyable. So for that reason, I don't consider it to be a lesser episode. You know, I talked about how I didn't think there was a lot of world building here. Uh, and, and, you know, we basically agreed upon that saying, you know, maybe it's more just character building. I think the only world building aspect to it is that they took on this mission with the cargo that, you know, we're going to we're going to see more going down the line. The rest is really just character building. But I think it was really good character building. So and, and it was enjoyable to watch. It, it didn't feel full of exposition. It didn't feel that, that you know, oh look, this is what we have here. You know, this they, they just let us watch a, a kind of a slice of life with them uh, with, with a little adventure in there with the duel and, and enjoy it. And I did, I found it very enjoyable and yet I still took things out of it. Mm-hmm. I like that they're doing the book Rogers dance at the shindig. Oh, that was quite funny. Yeah. I like when they dance and I was like, Oh, I know this one. <laughs> Cause you got to figure he's a, he's a guy who probably hasn't been to that many dances. No, I can't imagine this is Mal's scene. And yet he's, you know, except for the fact that he punches the guy, he is able to kind of <laughs> blend into it, to the, you know, to an extent. Mm-hmm. Whereas Kaylee is kind of pulled into it by others. You know, she doesn't really blend when she's sitting there, again, talking to the mean girls. You know, she doesn't even realize they're making fun of her at some point. Right. Yeah, I like how this show seems to be able to blend technology with 
everyday things, you know, or, or just you seem to have the old and the new mixed in. Like when, when the people are entering the ball, you see, you know, one uh, one set of people is announced, then a second set is announced. And when they go through, there's some type of scanner that picks up that the guy's carrying a small concealed weapon inside his his jacket pocket. And it comes up as 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 like a um, just like an energy field, and it, you know it prevents him from you know the guy stops, and then you see the like X-ray outline of the weapon inside his jacket. But yet everybody's in the 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 frilly fancy clothes. They look like it's out of a Civil War dance. You know that you know in the 1860s. It's 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 it, it's a nice mixture. And then also when they're playing pool early on with the pool table. All the balls are electronic and there's a sign, you know, the pool table, the table doesn't shimmer, but all the balls kind of wink out for a second like they're holograms. Or every time they shoot, you hear like a ping. Yeah, it's not the sound of of balls on pool cues. It's like pink, pink. It's this this mechanical digital sound when the balls are bouncing around the table. Mm. I I think there's a lot of little subtle world building bits in it. And this. Some people have criticized the world that Firefly inhabits, but I think you've got to buy into that it's kind of like this old West meets old Japanese folklore world that they're living in. And well, I think you have to buy into it's like that a, to buy into the show. I mean, it's a frontier. Baby. Yeah. You know, they're they're on new terraform planets. And I mean, yeah. Is it cheaper to use all these Western town sets and everything? Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it is. But well, there's the also fight- – Unlike in Star Trek, where you know you have them visiting worlds, you know galaxy. You know, I, I don't even know how far away. I don't want to say something dumb there, but uh, you know this this one's got the Roman Empire on it, and this one has the Nazi <laughs> regime yeah. on it. You know, this one has the the 1930s America on it. You know, it's it, there was a lot of silliness that went on there, and it was fine, but it was silly. This at least there's a logical reason for it. These this this Western culture came from Earth. All these planets have been terraformed by us to be Earth-like, but then the people have just been kind of dumped there with the burrest means of survival. So mm. basically you're going back to creating your own houses out of wattle and daub and using horses for the lesser well-off people because presumably shipping whatever their equivalent of cars are in the future and vessels of that kind would cost a lot of money. So a lot of these worlds have been terraformed. People have been dumped on them and said, right, here you go, here's some supplies, get on with it. Mm-hmm. But yet we still see other worlds that are more established with well, a lot of they're tech. more that's yeah. one of the things that's mentioned in the Infillion saga cell. The worlds that are more high tech and flush with the new technologies are alliance controlled worlds. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of the places that Serenity is doing business aren't alliance controlled worlds, which is A, why they're not as well off, and B, why Mal's doing business with them. Mal hates working with the Alliance, he doesn't want anything to do with them. So that's why he's off on the fringes like that. So there is an in-world explanation for why some planets are better off than others. But like Paul said, being able to film on old Western sets probably does serve a lot in the budget. Like the sword fight at the end of this one is filmed on the Disney Ranch. And the camera angles, yeah. The camera angles had to be really carefully coordinated when they were moving with the fight scene so as to not show the Jamboree building in the background. And and I guess, you know, a point of this that we really didn't hit on is that uh, as a result of the duel, Mal wins over Warwick's confidence, confidence rather, and, and 
ends up with the hold full of cattle. So I'm not sure exactly what it is about him that Warwick went, you know, kind of was impressed by. You know, he says at the end, he has that yeah. line of dialogue. Where he says, will you fight as hard to protect my cargo as you did here? And Mal says, harder, because I'm being paid for that. Because mm-hmm. obviously Warwick doesn't trust Badger. Well, why would you? And he's, he's a mighty fine hat. Any, any man that wears a tie without a shirt shouldn't be trusted. <laughs> Well, that's that's a lovely thing about Badger's character as well. And he does it throughout this entire episode. He thinks he's smarter than he is, whereas Jane is smarter than we think he is. So he, he dresses a close approximation of what he thinks upper aristocracy would dress like, but he hasn't got it right. And he mm-hmm. uses the wrong words when he's talking. There's a line in this, there seem to be, you seem to be misapprehending what I'm here for. And that yeah. that's a concurrent thread throughout the writing of Badger, which I think is really clever. Yeah, and then and and then River kind of call, calls him out on it. You know, she says, you know, you're trying to pre- pretending to be something that you're not. I think was one of the things she said. Yeah, when and, she does her Cockney accent. Yeah, and he's just kind of like he's completely kind of goes white. You know, he's like pale on the face, and he's just kind of staring at her like, uh, uh, okay. Yeah, because she, you like you say, she actually calls him out. She actually says, "Petty little thief with delusions of standing, sad little king on a sad little ill." And Badger's just completely stunned by the fact that she has so nailed his character that he's like, "Uh, should we go now?" <laughs> and Summer Glau's Cockney accent there is actually brilliant. It's actually really, really well done. Yeah, I. This was the first thing that I had seen her in. Um, it's the first thing that she did. Oh, apart well, that from. Was- She's in an episode of Angel. Do you remember the one where he goes to the ballet? He takes all of his friends to the ballet because they're doing a performance of something that he's loved for many years because Angel's obviously very old. Yeah, the don't prim- they have like, aren't they up in a box seat or something? Yes, too? the primary ballerina is Summer Glau because she is actually oh. a ballet dancer. And that was her first performance. So this is her first proper acting job. For, for Angel, she was just required to be a ballet dancer, which she is anyway. I'm not saying that that's not a good discipline, because I know from experience that it is. But she wasn't actually required to be an actor in, in that episode of Angel. Hmm. I mean, because it's amazing how I, I've seen her in other things now. Uh, recently, I, I, I did a watch through of, of Arrow to get ca- caught up. And she had a role that I won't anybody, I won't spoil it. But she had a. I was surprised the character that she become that she became on that show. She played a Terminator on. Um... Yeah, she was Cameron the Terminator. That was my first experience with her. So yeah, she, she's. I think she's quite an actress. Hmm. What is she doing now? Um, I've not seen her in anything quite recently, which is odd because she was like um, Trisha Helfer from Battlestar Galactica. There was a period where she was in everything. She did appear in an episode of The Big Bang Theory. Yeah, well, we'll gloss over that. <laughs> she was actually, she she was funny, though, when she was on it. Was she playing a character or was she playing herself? She was playing herself. They were on a train and she was there and they saw her. And uh, one, one of the guys went over and tried to talk to her and she basically, like, totally shut him down. And then, then one of the other guys went over and just kind of gave her like a really stupid line, and all of a sudden she was like interested. Right. <laughs> but then for um, some reason it it didn't come to pass. Well, according to IMDb, she's just done a TV show called Sequestered, and then she was in Con Man, 
which is Alan Tudjuk and Nathan Fillion's crowd-funded series that's just wrapped up. But she's mm. not in that. She's only in an episode of that. She's not in it all the way through. Yeah, it looks like before that it was um, it, it was Arrow that she was on there for. She was on Arrow. Yeah. Who'd she play on Arrow? She was Isabella Rocheff. She took oh, over. Oh, that's right. And then she, she was another character I don't want to say because I don't want to spoil it for anybody who might not have well, watched I think, that part. I think it, just to say she was a business competitor of Oliver. Yeah. Well, she she tried to take over the business from him. That would and, make her a competitor, wouldn't it? Well, no, 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 no. She was no, but in his own company, she wasn't a a separate competing business. They the they were she was trying to take over controlling interest in um, Queen Industries okay. or Queen so. Technology. So you didn't want to spoil anything, but you just couldn't let me go with business competitor. <laughs> Do you want me to spoil who she became? I don't care. I've seen the show. <laughs> Oh. And so have I, but I don't remember. That's how much attention I pay to Arrow. Lady Deathstroke. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do remember now, yeah. There. You happy now? I spoiled. <laughs> you, could, you couldn't just leave it as competitor. Oh, right. According to Wikipedia, in January of 2015, she had a baby girl. So that may explain why her appearance and stuff mm. slowed down slightly over 2015, if she's just had a baby. Right, okay. Mm. That'll do Fair it. Yeah. All right, well, I'll be needing do you to want to go final ratings on this so, one, or do you have anything else uh, to say? Uh, I like the, you know, I've learned some new curse words. <laughs> Gauss-a means crap. Now, does that mean Gauss, does that mean crap in some other language, or is that just made up for the show? I think all of the swearing was real Chinese, I think. Hmm. But uh, don't quote me on that. So, and, I, do, uh, I do remember Michael used to have some of these memorized so that he could say them at school. <laughs> and get away with it. Uh, when they went to China with high school, I told him, do not say any Firefly swear words. <laughs> yeah, that'll uh, not probably not go over well. Probably not, especially in China. Only Nixon could go to China. <laughs> <laughs> he could, that's very true. Let them die. Oh, sorry. And Jules Satate has her, is it Satate or State? State. State, she has such a beautiful smile. I'm just so so in love with her smile. Just awesome. Yeah, she, you... Kaylee. Kaylee's just adorable in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this. So she really. I thought she's shown in this episode. Yeah. Uh, are we going to go dinosaur ratings again then? Oh, is that what we're using? I couldn't remember. Oh, because I, I was going to use frilly dresses. <laughs> We can change it every episode if you want. I don't mind. We can rate this one in frilly dresses. All right, yeah, let's do frilly dresses. Okay. Um, I'm I'm gonna go. Um, of course, I have I have no memory just, of just for just for to to give you the, in case you don't recall, it's up uh, zero to five. Oh yeah, that I remembered. I just don't remember what I gave the other episodes. So nor so. do I. Oh okay. <laughs> Me neither. All righty. Well, then we're all in the same boat. We gave the pilot five. Right. Uh, I'm going to give this one a four. I'm going to give it four frilly dresses out of five. Mm. For just for building the backstories of the characters some more. Um, I enjoyed it. This was a show. I had just seen this about two months ago. And then had seen it on its original airing and maybe one other time in the past. And even though I'd seen it so many 
times already, I still sat and watched this entire episode. I, I didn't have to because as I started watching it, I rem- I, I, I re- remembered everything. Now, spoiler, looking ahead to the next episode, I didn't quite do that with that one. I kind of like skipped it. Like, okay, I remember what happens here. It didn't – this episode held my interest, which, you know, for me is a lot. Um, so <laughs> – so that's why I'm I'm going to go and give this one a four. Okay. Paul? Yeah, like I, I've said, I, I didn't think this one was tremendous on the world building. It didn't seem to feel like if this show had gone on, because I guess, you know, we're not supposed to be looking at it from the point of view of there's only 15, but I always do. Uh, if this show had been multiple seasons, I think as far as world building this one would have been somewhat forgettable but as far as just enjoyable sitting down and watching it episodes i think this would have held up you know throughout a co- the course of a series i think this is one that if there was a series and this is one of these shows that was on constantly and i've still been through the channels i think i would stop to watch this again because the the character moments do stand out to me and they're enjoyable and the acting is enjoyable uh i, I just think overall that's the way i describe this episode it was just very enjoyable to me so I think it's very, very solid. Uh, I don't know if it's a stellar episode, but I'm going to say a solid three and a half. Uh, I think it's a, a four for Elite Dresses. I'm going to go with Bill. Um, looking at it in the context of the whole series, which we can because there's only 15, um, it's not as good as other episodes. And I know that some of the ones coming up are much better than this. But this isn't in any way bad. It's really enjoyable. It's, the dialogue's very funny. It's very well shot. There's some nice little touches to it, like the chandelier that's not hanging on anything. Uh, mm. As Bill mentioned, the pool game uh, and the playing, the playing the version of poker for chores, all of that's interesting. And some of the dialogue's just hysterically funny uh, in this one. And I, some of it, I, I rewound it just to listen to another line again, because it is one of those things where the actors really seem to be really enjoying that they're getting to do unusual and delicious dialogue. And then, but having to then make that play as natural, which isn't easy with stylistic dialogue, but all of them pull it off. Uh, I I love this one. Um, it's not top tier, but there isn't any such thing as a bad episode of Firefly. So I'm going to go four as well. Well, I guess um, that wraps it up for today. And so next next time, on an all very new good. Piece. On an all new geek. Well, I've I've listened to enough shows of yours that <laughs> I think I've got at least that part of your 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 speaking down perfectly. All right, maybe not perfectly. Perfectly. <laughs> anyway, next time. So now I'm just going to run it in the ground, like I do with everything. Uh, we're going to be looking at safe for keep them flying. So we hope to see you next time. Everybody take care. See you next time. (laughs) Keep them flying. A Firefly podcast is a two true freaks presentation and it's hosted by Shepard Bill Robinson, Paul Spataro and Andrew Leyland. All the music and sound clips used in the show is copyright Fox Broadcasting and is available to buy on the Firefly soundtrack by Greg Edmondson. If you like to buy that soundtrack, maybe you could do it through the Amazon link that is on the 2TrueFreaks.com website. It costs you nothing extra, but throws a few pennies in our tip jar, which helps us to continue to produce content like this. Every episode of Keep Flying is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. And remember, find a ship, find a crew, keep flying.